Hello everyone, John Terrell here. Today we're going to be talking about March of the Machine for Cube. Welcome to Cultic Cube, where we cube religiously. We make you better at cube and make your cube better. I'll be releasing this episode both as a podcast on Chateau Cube and also on my YouTube channel. The YouTube version will have cards displayed. So I've been mulling over March of the Machine inclusions for two of my cubes. The first, Alaysis, is a high-powered Legacy Plus environment, unpowered vintage environment. The second environment is called Petty Nobility. It's a more modestly powered Jenny Johnny sort of environment that goes in for combo-y type stuff, and it's more of a master's power level environment. Both of these cubes were featured at KubeCon last year, and you all, KubeCon 2023 planning is well underway. If you weren't able to join us last year, I do hope you can make it this year. October 19th through 22nd in Madison, Wisconsin. You should check out mtgcubecon.com for more information about that. Wow, it's going to be a blast. So March of the Machine. You all, this set is a pretty dry set when it comes to PowerMax environments. I am adding zero cards from this set to Alaysis, the higher powered cube. It does have a lot of cool tools for more modestly powered environments. So zero cards for Alaysis, but I thought I would touch on some of the cards that I think are closest to being possibilities for a higher power environment. We can think those through together a little bit. First of all, we've got Guardian Scale Lord. This is from the commander set associated with Mom. It's four and a white for a creature dragon. It's a rare. It has backup one. So when this creature enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. If that is another creature, it gains the following abilities until end of turn. Here are the abilities. Flying. And when this creature attacks, return target non-land permanent card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield where X is this creature's power. And Guardian Scale Lord is a three, four. The obvious comparison here is to Sun Titan. This is a little bit cheaper. It's smaller, of course. It has evasion. It can make somebody else a little bigger and temporarily give it the Sun Titan funny reanimation ability. I think this card's fine. I think it's a hard sell, at least for me, at five mana for a three, four, or maybe four, five flyer. And the fact that this requires something to attack in order to get the effect, um, I don't totally love it. I would be much happier with this card if it costs, say, three and a white instead of four and a white. Then I think we'd be talking, but at five, I'm not super into it. Next up, we have Fairy Mastermind. It's a rare. It's one and a blue for a 2-1 Fairy Rogue. It has flash, it has flying, and whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card and it has an activated ability. You can pay three and a blue. Each player draws a card. This card's fine. It is a two mana, two one evasive creature with flash. You know, the stats are fine. And if you are into blue tempo, this is a good card or a card at least worth considering. It gives you an inexpensive beater that can sort of surprise people and it wears swords well, of course. It has this little upside that you draw a card if they draw an extra card. And you can, of course, flash it in to surprise draw a card. And I don't know how often it's going to be that that is going to line up with the <laughs> flash surprise blocker. You're probably surprising them one way or the other. But 
The card can do some tricky stuff, it's true. I do love cantrips, so I like that this card can cantrip, sort of. Also, my environments are replete with cantrips, since I love them so much, which makes this fairy mastermind go up in value as well. I'm not heavily invested in blue tempo though, so this looks like a card that is going to be better suited to the sort of cube that supports Delver. If you want to beat down with blue, this is a card that could do it. Otherwise, it's just sort of a French vanilla creature that has got fine stats. Next up, we've got Shieldred. Shieldred returns as a mythic who costs three black black for a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. And she's a four five. She's got menace. When she enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or planeswalker. And you can pay five to transform her as a sorcery. And you can only do this if an opponent has eight or more cards in the graveyard. On the backside, she's a saga called the True Scriptures. So chapter one, for each opponent, destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls. For chapter two, each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. And chapter three, put all creature cards from all graveyards onto the battlefield under your control. And then you flip this and it's Shieldred again. It's five mana who kills something when she enters the battlefield, but it's an edict, right? Rather than a targeted kill effect. I don't know, I've seen a lot of people very excited about this. This looks very slow and kind of dorky to me. The backside is powerful and does a lot of cool things, but my goodness, you're playing five to cast this card, you're playing five to transform it, and then you gotta walk your way through the various chapters in order to get to this mass reanimation thing. If you can get there, that's cool, but boy, I don't know. Bad things can happen before you get to chapter three of this thing. All right, next we've got some red cards. Kenra Spellspear. This is an uncommon for one and a red. It's a creature jackal warrior. It's a 2-2. has trample, it has prowess, and it has the activated ability pay three and a Phyrexian blue mana to transform Kenra Spellspear. What does it do on the back, you ask? On the back, it's Jataxian Spellstalker. It's a creature Phyrexian jackal. It's a 3-3. Three, three. has trample, ward two, and prowess prowess. has <laughs> double prowess. That's cool. I don't know. I'm not, in, I'm not into it. This card's a grizzly bear that has trample and prowess. I mean, that's not that exciting in red, honestly. I need it if, I mean, stick haste on there and trample and prowess and then we can talk. Ideally stick first strike on there too. <laughs> My red twos need to be more impactful than draw it and it just sits there and doesn't do much for me. You can flip it. You have to pay another four mana though, right? To flip it. And I guess it's cool if you drop late game, you get to upgrade it. If it's your draw off the top. Although if it's your draw off the top, then probably the double prowess on the back side isn't enormously helpful to you either. This card not super exciting, I don't think, for high powered cubes. Next up, we've got Death Greeter's Champion. This is another commander card. It's two and a red. It's a rare. It's a creature, human warrior. It's a two, one. It has dash for three and a red. It has backup one. This is like Guardian Scale Lord we were talking about earlier. When it enters the battlefield, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. If it is a different creature, it gains the following ability until end of turn, and that ability is double strike. So this thing is a three mana two one with double strike. Wow, that's not very exciting. 
<laughs> but of course, I can do more fun stuff than that. So I can put a counter on something else and give that thing double strike. So that can unleash a pile of damage that is a surprise, although not a combat trick, right? Because you're still casting this at sorcery speed like usual. You can dash the thing costs four to dash it and i don't know how often we want to be spending four a turn dashing this thing in order to give it haste so i think that this card is cool and it's reasonable it can represent six damage every time it attacks or it represents four damage and it's doing something for something else so all of that's fine, but I'm not actually all that excited about this card. I think there are many, many good red threes these days. Didn't used to be the case, of course. We were all so excited when Goblin Rabblemaster hit the scene. But now we've got a million Rabblemasters, and we've got Lelia, of course. Yeah, I mean, give me a Lelia over this thing for sure. And probably I like a lot of Rabblemasters better than this too. All right, now we've got Rampaging Raptor. This is a rare costs two red red for a creature dinosaur that's a four four it has trample it has haste you can pay two and a red to give it plus two plus O oh until end of turn and whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent it deals that much damage to target planeswalker that player controls or battle that player protects so you know here's a questing beast in red i think questing beast is only okay. I don't think it's an embarrassing card to run at high power, but it's not a card that I'm that excited about despite the wall of text on it. This worse than Questing Beast probably, and I, like for me this just does not do enough um, to merit a place in a high-powered environment, or in my high-powered environment. Um, oh, Planeswalkers. Yeah, we should at least mention, I guess, Archangel Elspeth. Let's talk about her. She's a mythic. She costs two white-white for legendary Planeswalker Elspeth. She enters with four loyalty. She's got three abilities. Plus one, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier token with lifelink. Minus two, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types and it gains flying. Minus six, return all non-land permanent cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So Elspeth's an angel. This is an Elspeth that's, you know, a classic Elspeth. This looks an awful lot like Elspeth Knight Errant. I don't love Elspeth Knight Errant these days. I think she's been outclassed and there are better things to be doing. And I think she's worse than Elspeth Knight Errant. That being said, I don't think Elspeth Knight Errant is an embarrassing card. And there are people who are much higher on her than I am. So I don't, I think Archangel Elspeth, also not an embarrassing card, well worth testing. I think she's probably better than Sarah, Planeswalker. I kind of like that card, but I haven't cubed it in a good while. Currently I'm on Elspeth's son's nemesis, Gideon, ally of Zendikar, and the Wandering Emperor. I like all of those better than this card, so um, I'm just not on the market for this four mana Planeswalker. Okay, I guess another thing to get out of the way is battles. We've got a whole new card type, you all. Thanks to mom, and that is the battle. I'm not gonna read these cards to you. You can go look them up. There's a lot of invasions, right? Invasions of Innistrad or Tarkir, all these different planes. So these battles can be attacked like a planeswalker. They often have an ETB and then they sit there on the opponent's side of the board. At least these battles do, because they're all called siege. 
Presumably we'll have other kinds of battles someday, and I'm excited about that. But these siege you give to an opponent, and then you have to attack down the siege, and then when you do, you get to flip it, and then it does some other stuff. I don't think any of these are that great. Uh, I, like, I'm really struggling to find a reason to put any of these in any of my cubes. You're just giving the opponent life. You're giving yourself something else to attack instead of the opponent. So you kind of need the front side to do some heavy lifting for you. I don't think the front side of any of these does enough work and at a reasonable enough cost that I'm into it. And then the backsides, I mean, the backsides just matter less, I think. They do do some stuff. I don't know. I'm not excited about these battles. Of course, if you're in a multiplayer cube, they go they go way up in value because anybody can attack down the battle. Although I don't know if other people are attacking your battle for you necessarily, but maybe. And you know, in Mom Limited, these are cool and make interesting board states. So if you love them in Mom Limited, then maybe you love them in cube. But for me, they're another crack at doing a Planeswalker type thing that is often less impactful, I think on the whole than a planeswalker is but look i love that we've got a new card type that's exciting and i understand wizards being rather conservative at their first go around with these things it makes perfect sense you know let's not let's try not to break things when we first introduce this card type i hope and believe that watsi will figure it out they'll keep tweaking the knobs and we'll get some cool ones in the future let's move on to petty nobility so recall Petty Nobility, this is my more like Master's Power Level, Jenny Johnny kind of environment. I care about micro archetypes to a greater degree here than in Eleasis. So we care about things like plus one, plus one counters and life gain and blink and aristocrats. First up, we've got Angelic Intervention. This is a common for one and a white. It's an instant says target creature or planeswalker you control gains protection from colorless or from the color of your choice until end of turn. If it's a creature, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Look, not an exciting card, but I like having some combat tricks in white in this environment. This is a fun one. It's cool it can hit planeswalkers, but that's not relevant in petty nobility. There are no walkers here, but maybe it is in your cube. Um, and I like that it gives a lasting buff to a creature in the form of that plus one plus one counter, which you know, does things in the environment. Boonbringer Valkyrie. This is a rare for three white white. It's a creature angel warrior who's a four four. Has backup one. So remember it puts a counter on something. Could be itself. If it's another creature, it, that creature will gain the following abilities until end of turn. Those abilities are flying, first strike, and lifelink. So hey, we've got a Baneslayer Angel. Um, yeah, you all, you all know my feelings probably about Baneslayer Angels. Not a big fan, at least in high power environments. That's a card that has seen its day. This one's kind of cute though. This is suitable to a lower power environment. I'd never put this in a Laesis. I do care about lifelink. I do care about counters in this environment. So all of that is to the good and it's cute. It can give somebody else the thing. That's nice. I will say, I am testing this in Petty Nobility. I'm a little dubious about it, not so much because it's just a Baneslayer Angel, but more because I'm, I don't love that it could enter as a 5-5. And I try not to have flyers that have more than four toughness uh, because it just makes them too hard to interact with in this environment. 
So you're in an odd place, Boonbringer Valkyrie. <laughs> I'm going to try you in Petty Nobility, but I fear you may be a little too good for Petty Nobility and you just don't cut the mustard in Elaeasis. Next up, Enduring Bond Warden. This is a common for a single white. It's a creature, human scout, who's a 0-1. And it's got backup 1. And when this creature dies, put its counters on target creature you control. <laughs> so look, this is just kind of a cute card. I like Bond Beetle. I, it's quietly like a fun card. A 1 mana, just like a little enabler for plus 1, plus 1 counters thing. Also, you know, blinkable, right? To keep putting counters on stuff. It's not the most exciting blink target, but it does things. And we love those plus one, plus one counters. I like a lot that this has the extra line that Bond Beetle does not have, which is that when this creature dies, you get to put its counters on another creature. So it's got like modular for human scouts. I like that. And then of course, if you grow this with counters in other ways, you get to move all those counters around. So cute card. We'll give it a go. Next up, Guardian of Girapur. This is a rare for two and a white. It's a creature angel who's a 3-3, three, three, has flying. And when Guardian of Girapur enters the battlefield, exile up to one other target creature or artifact you control. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Um, so look, here's a Flicker Wisp type thing, right? The mana is better than Flicker Wisp. Flicker Wisp is one white white. This has more toughness than Flicker Wisp. All of that's cool. But wow, this can only pick up your own stuff, not opponent's stuff, right? That's one of the tricks with Flicker Wisp, right? You get a blocker out of the way and smash in. Also, Flicker Wisp can pick up lands, which this can't do. And you may say that's not a big deal. Flicker Wisp just picks up a permanent. This is only creature or artifact and you have to control it. All of this makes it far worse than Flicker Wisp, despite better mana and a little more toughness. Some people are high on this for higher powered cubes. I, I don't see it personally. I'm sure in the right environment it can do cool things, but that's not, this isn't where I'm putting three mana and white. But here in Petty Nobility, we do like blinking things. So that's cool, we'll give it a go. All right, another white card. Our last white card, Realm Breaker's Grasp. This is a common for one and a white, and it's an enchantment aura. Enchant artifact or creature, enchanted permanent cannot attack or block, and its activated abilities cannot be activated unless they're mana abilities. I like pacifism effects. I know pacifism has seen better days, and that's fine. I still think, though, pacifism is a reasonable effect. Two mana to get something entirely out of the combat equation is good and not totally embarrassing even in 2023. But I still run effects like this. So in Petty Nobility, I've got Pacifism. I've got Seal Away, which is wonky. Um, I've got Temporal Isolation, pretty close to another Pacifism. This card is a Pacifism Plus, right? Because it turns off the abilities too. I like that. I'll upgrade my Pacifism. Okay, on to blue. Chrome Host Seed Shark. Chrome Host Seed Shark. What a name. I don't know that I love that name. I'm not sure what it's signifying to me. It's two and a blue. Oh, it's a rare. It's a creature, Phyrexian Shark. It's a two four, it has flying. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. So what does that mean, you ask? 
create an incubator token with X plus one plus one counters on it and the ability pay two generic mana, transform this artifact. And then it transforms into a zero, zero Phyrexian artifact creature. <sighs> okay, so I just read you a lot of text. First thing to notice is we have a young pyromancer, we have a monastery mentor, that sort of thing. In blue, um, the body, you know, seems good-ish, or at least substantially better than Monastery Mentor in the sense that it's a 2-4 flyer instead of a 2-2. Although Monastery Mentor has prowess, that's not unimportant on that card. You cast a non-creature spell and this thing incubates. So let's get to that incubation portion. So we get to make a token, we put counters on it, that's cool. But what does it do? It doesn't do anything until you pay two mana to flip it and then, then you got something cool. Maybe, right? Or maybe you just played a ponder and now you've got this silly incubator token with one plus one plus one counter on it and then you have to pay two to turn it into a one one. That doesn't sound amazing. Or maybe you cast treasure cruise and wow, you're feeling good about life. Look, this card, I've heard a lot of people talking up for higher powered cubes, and I mean, by all means, give it a whirl there. Why not? But for me, a three mana, very defensive body, I guess that's not terrible. Although I kind of want my defensive bodies at one or at two mana, and by the time I'm doing three, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really looking to be playing walls on three mana. The fun police have already been putting in a lot of damage by this point in time, presumably. And I don't know if this shark is stabilizing me. And then you still have to cast spells to get it to do stuff. And then you have to pay mana in order to flip things and get the value off of it. So for me, this is just too many hoops. I'm not a fan in high powered environments, but in petty nobility, this seems much more reasonable and like a fun thing to play around with. So we will do it. And sidebar, while I've got you here, allow me to remind you that I have the Cultic Bestiary project. I made some tokens for this new set. Guess how many tokens I have now, you all? Hold on to your hats. I've got more than 175 different token designs in the Cultic Bestiary now. I just love this project. I'm obsessed with this project. You should check the project out on Etsy. If you are at all interested in medieval art and manuscripts, and classical history and Greco-Roman mythology, check out the project. It is on Etsy. I'll have a link below. Moving on, Cyba Cryptomancer. This is a common for one and a blue. Creature Merfolk Ninja, it's a zero one. It has flash, it has backup one, and it has hex proof. I like this as a way of dodging removal, right? Give something, flash this thing in, give something hex proof, this is one in a blue to blank removal, to make something a little bit bigger, and to have a little body sitting around afterwards. Granted, if you're doing all that stuff to save something else from removal, the, the body that's hanging around is a zero one, so we're not all that excited about that, but it's still a body, it still blocks. It could wear a sword, and it's like kind of a boggle because it has hexproof. One in a blue for this like fun little trick in blue. And we care about counters, remember. So I'm here for it. At least I'm here to try it out. Next up, C double. This is a rare for two blue blue. It's an instant. This spell cannot be copied. Choose one. If an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, you may choose both. So option one is copy target spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. A copy of a permanent spell becomes a token. Wow, 
Option two, create a token that's a copy of target creature. We've got four mana for a clone effect. That raid is sort of okay. That's sort of what we expect of clone effects, although I'm not like tripping over myself to put four mana clone effects in the cube. But it's nice that this can copy any creature on the field. That's cool. Or it does this other thing where somebody resolves a spell. Maybe the opponent resolves a spell. Maybe you resolve the spell and have four more mana to spare. I don't know. And you get to copy it. And this spell could be anything at all. It could be a creature. It could be a planeswalker. It could be a doom blade. It could be an artifact or enchantment. It could be a battle. I'm just listing types, you guys. Not very helpful. Anyway, this card does a lot. And uh, four mana is a lot for this kind of reactive card. I'm not like super duper stoked about this. In order to get to do it all, the opponent has to have eight cards in their graveyard. That's kind of a lot in the absence of a dedicated mill strategy, which Petty Nobility definitely does not have. I don't think it's that often you get to do both. That would be super cool. But you know, this is going to do something, whether it's copying something already on the board or copying something that is about to happen or about to be on the board. Anyway, it seems kind of cute. We'll try it. All right, on to red. Nahiri's Warcrafting. This is a rare for one red red. It's a sorcery. Nahiri's Warcrafting deals five damage to target creature, planeswalker, or battle. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the excess damage dealt this way. You may exile one of those cards, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You may play the exiled card this turn. So this card is kind of sweet. It's got some strikes against it, right? Like. It is one red red to cast instead of two and a red. It's a sorcery. It can't hit face. So all of these things make it worse than like char, for example, which is the, you know, sort of ur example of the three mana red spell that does a pile of damage. This does do a little more damage and it doesn't hurt you. So that's all to the good. Um, but look, it's kind of a cantrip, right? Or at least it has the promise of being kind of a cantrip. I like the tantalizing promise um, <laughs> that this card offers. It also reminds me slightly of another pet card of mine, which is one of the very few uncards, silver bordered cards that I'm actually like actively excited about and have been for years. And that is, you guessed it, Blast from the Past. Blast from the Past. Oh, do I even read the whole card? I'll read it to you. Are you ready? It's an instant for two and a red. It's got a lot of keywords on it. Let me just read sort of the base thing first. So Blast from the Past, what does it do? It does two damage to target creature or player. Cool, for two and a red. You don't sound excited. It gets better. It's got Madness for a single red. It's got Cycling for one and a red. It's got Kicker for two and a red. It's got Flashback for three and a red, and it's got Buyback for five and a red. And if the Kicker cost was paid, you put a one one red goblin creature token into play. Okay, so here's the way this card typically works. Typically, it doesn't cost two and a red, but instead it costs one red red. So what you're actually doing is cycling this card for one and a red. So you're discarding it and drawing a card. And then you pay the madness cost, which is a single red. And so when you cast it for its madness cost, you're casting a card that you're discarding, right? So what happens is you pay one red red and you get to deal two damage to something and you get to draw a card and it cantrips. So three mana, deal two to anything at instant speed, draw a card. What a sweet card. What a sweet card. You all know how much I love drawing cards. So if this card um, can do any sort of imitation of that, 
<laughs> but promise to deal more damage. You know, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Next up, we've got Urabrask. This is a mythic for two red red. It's a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Urabrask has first strike, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Urabrask deals one damage to target opponent, and you get to add a single red mana to your mana pool. Also, it has an activated ability. You can pay a single red mana to transform it, and you can transform it only as a sorcery, and only if you've cast three or more instants and or sorceries this turn. On the back side, it is a saga called The Great Work. First chapter, it deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control. Second chapter, create three treasure tokens. And third chapter, until end of turn, you may cast instants and sorcery spells from any graveyard. If a spell was cast that way, uh, exile it. And then you flip this back into Urabrask. Okay, so I don't know how much the backside matters. This cube does have a lot of inexpensive spells because it's one of my cubes. And I love my one and two mana cantrips and so on. So, it, you know, it's possible, but it's not, it's not easy to do. And we've seen other cards like this that are just, you know, annoying to meet that bar. Isn't that Flip Chandra from Origins? Something like this. Yeah, Chandra, Fire of Kaladesh. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but you have to work to flip it by casting a bunch of red spells. Or Vance's Blasting Cannons from Ixalan, that double-faced card. Um, had sort of a similar rider for making it flip. Anyway, Urabrask seems reasonable in a lower power environment, right? Four mana for a 4-4 four, four with first strike. That's not blowing our mind, and it just dies to removal. But, you know, here in Petting Ability, that's okay. And then it does this cute little thing where it pays you for casting spells, so it works in that Spells Matters deck. It just does a little trickle of damage to them. It has to be opponent and not any target. But then it creates more mana. That's kind of cute. I want to give it a whirl. All right, let's move on to green. Blighted Burgeoning. This is a common for two and a green. Enchantment Aura. Enchant Land. When it enters the battlefield, incubate two. And whenever Enchanted Land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. I guess a first thing to say is that in this environment, I don't want a lot of inexpensive hard ramp. So I don't include any ramp spells at one or two mana. We start at three. I also don't have any rocks or anything in here, or at least not inexpensive ones like signets or talismans. So three mana ramp spell that also fixes color. That's where I want to be. I am running Grafted Growth in the cube, which is two and a green enchant land, and it puts a plus one plus one counter on target creature or vehicle you control. And this is similar to what? Gift of Paradise? Oh no, Gift of Paradise, that's the one that gives you three life, isn't it? Ugh, I'm blanking on the other one. You know, here's the thing that puts counters on stuff. It, get, it puts two counters on thing, but only on the incubation target. I don't know, I don't super love this card, but uh, I'm willing to give it a go. I feel like probably Grafted Growth is by and large the more reliable card, although if you don't have a board, then this new card, Blighted Burgeoning, does give you the, a board in the form of an incubator, but then you have to pay the mana to flip it. Oh, hey, we got another, another upgrade to the Rabid Bite model of card, just to point this out. Cosmic Hunger is a common for one and a green, it's an instant. And it says, target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature, planeswalker, or battle. 
So anyway, if you're on the market for that kind of effect, we got a still better one now, at least if you're into battles and planeswalkers, which this cube is not. Glistening Dawn is a rare for two green green for a sorcery. Incubate X twice, where X is the number of lands you control. So you kind of figure if you have four lands to cast this thing, which maybe you don't if you ramped it out, but let's imagine you've got four lands, you cast this thing, you get two of these things that you have to pay two to flip, and when you do, then you end up with two four fours, and you've spent eight mana now on an installment plan in order to get those two vanilla four fours. So, I don't know, this isn't just the most exciting thing in the world, I'll grant you. It's expensive for some creatures that you have to pay more for, and that's super annoying. And then they're just bog-standard vanilla creatures. There's nothing nothing much going on here, except for the counters synergies, plus one, plus one counter synergies. So that's a thing. None of us are probably over the moon about this, although the spell does scale, so that's that's super important, right? You could spend eight mana and end up with two eight eights or whatever, if you have eight lands in play. This would be cute in Cartographia as well. I haven't really sat down and thought through Cartographia yet with the new set. Cartographia was my second cube that has appeared on MTGO. Then that was a great experience. Gosh, what a fun cube. And there's a lot of lands matters kind of stuff in that cube. Oh, the other thing I want to say about this is that I really like pushing in Petty Nobility a blue-green spells deck. That is a thing that you could do. And the cornerstone for this really is a card that, oh, this is another one of my pet cards, Quandrix Apprentice. <laughs> it's a green and a blue for a human wizard who's a 2-2. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a land card from among them and put that into your hand and put the rest on the bottom. So here's this Simic bear who, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, draws you a land. Not exactly, but it's pretty close. Love that card. I like trying to play up ways that green, as well as blue, can cast spells and do things, even as green still remains a very creature-centric, creature-heavy color here. It's not like I've totally warped the color pie in the environment such that green is mono spells here or anything like that. Next up, Ozolith, the Shattered Spire. This is a rare for one and a green. It's a legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. And it has the activated ability, play one in a green and tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact or creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery, boo. And then it has cycling for two generic mana. What's not to love about this card? We get this winding constructor kind of effect. We get the ability to put counters on something, which is of course secretly really putting two counters on something because of this, of this thing's static ability. If we're not into this card for some reason, we can just cycle it away and that's fine as well. Love cycling. Of course, this is a two mana card with two mana cycling, like how often are we really cycling this away? What I really love cycling on is on big dumb six mana six sixes or something. So the cycling not as relevant here, but whatever. It's nice that you can just redraw if you if you need to dig for something. Cool card. I'm happy to run the OG Ozolith and the new Phyrexianized Ozolith. Let's do it. Let's run them together. Uh, here's another fight card kind of thing. Punch card. 
tandem takedown costs one green green for an instant. Up to two target creatures you control each get plus one plus oh until end of turn. Then they deal damage equal to their power to another target creature, planeswalker, or battle. So we've got two things that can team up to take down something big. This is not a cheap effect, I fully grant you that. But look, I'm currently running Umbuscade, which is two and a green for an instant that says target creature you control gets plus one plus zero until end of turn, and then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature an opponent controls. So look, this is quite an upgrade because it could be the exact same card if you've only got one creature in play. Or if you've got two creatures in play, wow, is it a massive upgrade. Also, of course, it, you know, the old card could only hit creatures. New card can hit creatures, planeswalkers, or battles. Again, planeswalkers and battles don't matter in petty nobility. But anyway, it's an upgrade. It does cost another green mana pip. It's one green green for tandem takedown versus two and a green for ambuscade. But whatever. This card's not a high pick, but it gives green some interaction. In that blue-green spells deck, it's kind of cute, and blue-green spells like sort of especially need some interaction because it doesn't have doom blades and lightning bolts and stuff. Not that doom blades and lightning bolts are in the environment, but you know what I mean. All right, last card, everyone. You ready for this? Tribute to the World Tree costs green, green, green for an enchantment. It's a rare. It says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is three or greater. Otherwise, put two plus one plus one counters on it. I kind of like this effect. Green, 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 that is a hard sell. Don't like that. But you know, mana's good in this environment as it is in most of my environments. You should be able to build a mana base that can support this, but still, it's a cost. It's just a do-nothing enchantment, right? So there's that. But look, you're not gonna put this in a deck that doesn't have creatures. You put it in a creature-heavy deck. It draws you cards, that's great. It creates counters, that's great. I do like this, you know, buff to smaller creatures. So you're you're getting some good value off this, even if you're playing, even if you're playing some silly little thing, it helps you grow a thing. So I don't know. I mean, I don't want to oversell you on this card, but I think it's kind of a cool card and it's worth um it's worth playing with. Hopefully, it's putting cards in hand for the deck that's just playing big dumb creatures and is otherwise dumping its hand. And it's making the little dumb creatures bigger. This is another card that would be awesome in Cartographia. That's what I've found from combing through March of the Machine. Low power set, but some fun stuff for lower power cubes. Let me know what your thoughts about any of these cards are, and also let me know if I'm missing out on anything, particularly for higher powered environments, or if you think I've misevaluated any of these cards in a higher powered context. Everybody, go to mtgcubecon.com and learn more about KubeCon. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I can't wait until October. We're going to double our attendance this year compared to last year. It's gonna be great. I hope to see you in October and let's keep hanging out and chatting cube.